Startup Nation. This is Dr. Carol. I'm just here, wanted to give you guys some helpful tips and things to remember as we move and navigate through this unprecedented uh, health pandemic. The first thing you guys want to remember is please wash your hands thoroughly and frequently. Wash your hands for at least 20 seconds under warm water with soap. If you do not have access to a sink with warm water and soap, please use hand sanitizer um, that contains at least 60% alcohol. The next thing you want to do is please avoid large crowds and social gatherings. As young people, our immune systems are typically healthier and so we can be asymptomatic, which basically means that we can carry uh, the virus if we come in contact with it and our immune system will recover. But we also pose the risk of spreading it to those who are immunocompromised or who have chronic health conditions and our older people. So please avoid large large crowds if you can. The next thing I would say is use respiratory hygiene. If you have to sneeze, if you have to cough, please cover your mouth in your sleeve, not with your hands. Please avoid touching your hands and face after you've done this as well. And please, again, wash your hands. And lastly, if you feel sick, if you have any of these symptoms, which is high fever, uh, initially a dry cough or fatigue, please seek medical help early. If you've been exposed to someone who might have had had the virus or been in contact, please stay at home to avoid spreading the virus to anyone else. Again, this is something serious, so we don't want to take it lightly. But those are just some helpful tips and reminders uh, for you guys as we navigate through this pandemic. I hope you guys have a great day and uh, stay safe. This episode of The Startup Life is powered by Colony Spark. Startup Nation, with our economy in flux, there is a lot of mixed messaging out there. If there was ever a time to take control of the narrative and let your customers know that you're here to serve them, it's now. And that's why you have a friend in Colony Spark. Colony Spark is an omni-channel marketing agency that believes in the power of community to ignite your business. They have helped companies across many industries with lead generation, revenue growth, and more to put them on the path to success. My guy Bill Murphy and his team are very good at what they do. How do I know this? Because not many SEO companies have the stamp of approval of being partnered with Google. Yes, that Google. So I want you to go to www.colonyspark.com forward slash startup to schedule a meeting today. In that meeting, you will review your current marketing activity, receive actionable advice on how to pivot and grow, and ask any marketing questions you may have on navigating over the next few months. Look, Startup Nation, I know things may seem uncertain right now, but if you are looking for a business partner that can help light the way, go with Colony Spark, where they firmly believe in business helping business. The startup life is powered by Ladder. Startup Nation, as an entrepreneur, you are the engine that powers your business. We have had many entrepreneurs on the show, from those that played Division II basketball, quite a few Ironman participants, and even an NFL quarterback. And the one thing they all have in common is that they know getting early morning workout wins leads to business success for the day. However, it's super important what fuel you use for your workout to get that early morning success. And that's where Ladder comes in. Ladder is a sports nutrition company founded by LeBron James and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Unlike other supplements, every batch is tested by a third party that is trusted by all major professional sports organizations, including the NBA, NFL, MLB, and more to verify the highest standards for quality, but more importantly, safety. Ladder's goal is to help you unlock your best in any situation. Right now, that means access to special offers and expert advice from their community. Personally, I like superfood greens. Not only does it include the most essential nutrients that are hard to get in your diet, like magnesium, zinc, B vitamins, vitamin D, 
They also included the Rodelio root, which helps keep you healthier when stress is high, but also it helps support immunity according to many studies. Use code BETTEREVERYDAY for 30% off everything site-wide at ladder.sport. That's BETTEREVERYDAY for 30% off at ladder.sport. So maybe you're not trying to be a four-time league MVP or a seven-time Mr. Olympia, but you still need the tools to elevate your health that elevates your business. So go with Ladder and prepare to get better every day. It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation, I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. You know, Startup Nation, given our day and age, social distancing and our new normal, if there was ever a time that we want to make those connections with one another, it's now. But it's a bit difficult through social media and things of that nature, but our next guest may have the answer for that and more. She is the co-founder and CEO of Affectiva, where they are on a mission to humanize how people interact with technology and with one another by bringing emotional intelligence to our devices and digital experiences. She was also named to the Fortune 40 Under 40 list, Forbes America's Top 50 Women in Tech in 2018, and also the winner of the Smithsonian Magazine American Ingenuity Award in Technology. You wanna know who won the award after her? Jeff Bezos. And she is also the author of Girl Decoded, a scientist's quest to reclaim our humanity by bringing emotional intelligence to technology. She is the one and only Dr. Rana L. Kayubi. And so, you know, Dr. L. Kayubi, I know with everything going on, our new normal, you're usually doing book tours and speaking engagements and stuff like that. But I know a lot of that has changed. So what does that new normal look for you right now as you go out uh, and promote your book and things of that nature? Basically, I do a lot of, you know, online virtual events and podcasts and right. Facebook Live, you know, and Instagram Live and things like that. So it's been quite fun, but it's uh, it's also exhausting. I bet. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> and I guess we're only added to that exhaustion. We do apologize about that. Oh, I love it, though. It's, 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 it's fun. But it's fun that you wouldn't think it's so much work given that you were just at home. But it actually is a lot of kind of, you know, um, cognitive and emotional kind of thought goes into it. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. So I, I was checking out your, your LinkedIn page and I saw that you were uh, posting about how uh, in our new normal thing and stuff like that, that is kind of changing the way that we date. Kind of talk about that a little bit. I was interested in that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think what I find really interesting about the times we're living in right now is that we've all been catapulted into this universe where we do almost everything virtually. We work, you know, and connect with our peers uh, virtually. We are, my kids are learning um, online and we're connecting with our communities online and we're even dating online. And so I've been thinking a lot about the role that emotional intelligence and your your nonverbal communication, I mean, humans communicate primarily nonverbally through facial expressions and gestures. And all of that doesn't really exist in, in dating apps today. It's mostly, you know, you get matched based on very cognitive criteria and you get started in a conversation that's primarily text-based and you're missing all of these like nuanced communication signals, um, So, which may or may not translate into real life. So you might get matched with a person and you have amazing traction digitally and then you meet a person and you're like, uh, no, there's no chemistry mm-hmm. or vice versa. You know, some people are just not natural texters, 
Right. But then when you, you meet them in real life, it's great. So how do you make that transition from virtual to real life? And with COVID, of course, it's become a lot harder um, because of social distancing. For For sure. Thank you for sharing all of that. So Rana, I have to ask, you're the computer scientist, you're the AI expert, and you, I'm pretty sure you know that uh, there's this thing that people believe that it's 5G that's kind of spreading COVID-19 and stuff like that. I, I guess I'm just curious, when you hear something like that, what's your take on that? Do you ever ask, like, how did you make that connection? Where did this even come from? Especially seeing that you're an expert in this kind of uh, space, if you will. Yeah, it's kind. I mean, I'm always fascinated by the conspiracy theories that people come up with. Right. And and I and I think I think it actually goes back to the emotion of surprise and a violation of expectation. Right. Like okay. these theories are so absurd that that it captures people's imagination and curiosity. But I don't think there's any legs. Right. For sure. Yeah. (laughs) I appreciate you uh, sharing that. Once again, we're talking to Arana El-Kayubi, the author of Girl Dakota, whose book is out right now, Startup Nation. If you're listening to the replay on the podcast, you can click the link in the show notes to go ahead and purchase uh, her book. So let's dive into the book a little bit, because I, first of all, I loved it. Uh, I listened to it over the weekend, you know, via, you know, the audio version and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was an amazing book, an amazing, you know, story about, you know, growing up in Cairo and coming over to the States and then going back and forth uh, quite a bit. So and I thought it was interesting because, you know, a lot of people have somebody else read the audio version. But you just I guess, was it your decision to read the audio version? How did that come about? <laughs> you know, they gave me an option to the publisher basically gave me an option to hire a narrator Mm -hmm. and I had never, I mean, this is my first book, so I'd never done an audio book before, but I just felt my, it was so personal. You know, I poured a lot of love into writing this book that I couldn't imagine anybody else reading it. So I signed on to do it and I didn't realize how time consuming it was. It took about six days of audio, Mm -hmm. you know, voice recording for about like eight hours a day. It was pretty intense and a lot of tea. I had to drink a lot of tea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, you know, I, my hope was that in by narrating it in my own voice, the true emotions would come through. So I, I don't know if you felt that. I, I did, actually, because when you're talking about not just your story, obviously, but the work that you do, mm-hmm. I, I think personally, I think only you could have told that story. Uh, like, don't get me wrong. Like, if you had hired a narrator, I'm pretty sure they would have did a phenomenal job. But like, I, I think when you get to read it, you know, kind of share your story uh, with your own words and stuff like that, uh, you can truly sense the the raw emotion of what you were going through that. Like there are times where uh, I can tell you were kind of joking. There was kind of times where I knew it was kind of a serious moment. So uh, I definitely mm-hmm. appreciated all of that for sure. Thank you. No worries. No worries. <laughs> so I-, I wanted to ask you this because one of the fascinating things I thought about the book was about your parents and how they really shaped uh, who you've kind of become today. They were very, uh, you know, staunch and as far as like, you know, how education was important, but also a bit progressive. I actually saw on your Facebook page uh, when you tell the story about your dad having you stand in a chair uh, to kind of mm-hmm. hear the speech. I saw that uh, picture on your Facebook page. Kind of talk about <laughs> your parents a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah. So I'm Egyptian Americans, but right. I, I grew up in, in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, my Both my parents are technologists. So my dad taught COBOL programming in the 70s. And my mom was one of the very first women to learn programming. So she signed up to take this class and they met and that's how, you know, they ended up together. Right. Um, I would 
characterize them as being super hardworking, very high integrity, and very progressive when it came to education. So I have two younger sisters and the three of us, you know, education was super critical and it was very valued in our family. And, and, and I, you know, the picture you're referring to is um, I had a plastic blue chair as a toddler and my dad would pluck <laughs> me on it <laughs> and I would just like ramble. I, and he would sit there with his uh, video camera with his video recorder. He was pretty, um, pretty into technology and he would just record me like giving these mini speeches. <laughs> right. So I, I often joke he was my uh, first audience um, ever. <laughs> gotcha, for sure. And, and Startup Nation, uh, uh, Rana has also given a TED Talk before. And so with that being said, I'm, I'm curious, do you think, you know, that your dad saw something in you? Because it's, it's almost as if, you know, he was preparing you for that moment and other speaking engagements that you got. Like, what do you think he saw in you at that early age? I think both my parents just had very high expectations of us. It's amazing. Like when you have, right, when you have high expectations of, of, a, of a person, they often can rise to it. Whereas if you just hold people to a low bar, it's like there's, you know, you, there's no space for growth. And so my parents always had super high expectations for us. And I, and I do the same with my kids. I have high expectations for them. I have ex- high expectations for my team, my startup right. team. I think it's critical to raise the bar and encourage people to step outside of their comfort zone. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you this as a quick follow up, because you talk about having those high expectations of your kids and of your team at the startup uh, and that effectiva and stuff like that. As a leader, how do you kind of manage, like, not necessarily like, you know, push them too fast, but like also nudging them at the same time to kind of help them reach those uh, that potential or those expectations of you. What, what is that leadership style for you, Rana? I would say um, starting with empathy um, okay. and just kind of empathizing with where people are, and humanizing people, like acknowledging that people have personal aspirations, personal goals and motivations. I do this thing, uh, which is harder to during COVID, but I, I have one-on-ones with every new member in, in our team and I will have kind of a, a lunch meeting with them and I'll just say, tell me about your professional aspirations. And if you so choose, tell me about your personal aspirations. And then, and then we try to brainstorm. Okay, how can affectiva play a role in 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 advancing people's, you know, goals? And I think that's really important. You humanize, you know, I humanize our partners, our collaborators, our team members. It's all about human connection. So I would say that's kind of my leadership style, and it builds a lot of goodwill and loyalty. Got you, got you. Thank you for sharing that because the reason I, w- I wanted to ask you about that because there was a quote actually towards the uh, end of the book that I thought was really fascinating. This is at the time where you had just become CEO of Effectiva mm-hmm. and you're writing in your journal and there's a quote in there that says, quote, I must remember that my job is to make these people uh, successful and stars in their own circles, end quote. And so I just thought that was uh, very fascinating uh, that you know, it's not just about you leading a company, but also setting up uh, those team members at Effectiva for success uh, in the future. Uh, so I guess I want to ask this as well. You know, let, let's say, you know, you, you build them up and they decide, you know, they want to uh, start their own startup or they want to go somewhere else to kind of grow and something like that. What does a conversation sound like when it's time for them to actually walk into their uh, potential, you know, if you will, as the CEO, what does that that conversation look like? You know, I love this question because I have multiple examples where okay. uh, members of our team will come to me and, you know, like one of my 
favorite um, team members was our head of research a few years ago. And he wanted to apply for a faculty position. And I wrote his recommendation letters, right? Like he was, he felt he could trust me enough that he approached me and he said, you know what? My career goal is to become faculty will you support me in this? And I was like, absolutely. We have another person who she's very passionate about internships and, and kind of, you know, helping young talents. And I'm helping her transition out of Affectiva and start her own company. And I always say I'm conflicted because I'll say things like, okay, with my Affectiva hat on, I'm really bummed that you're going to leave. But now with my Rana, the friend or mentor hat on, you should go do this. (laughs) You go girl, right? Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And, and so speaking, you know, about your journey and kind of going back into the book a little bit, you had somebody to kind of help you do that uh, as well. Rosalind Picard, somebody, mm-hmm. who, you know, greatly uh, look up to and admired and stuff like that. And the crazy thing is, like, when I, when I was reading that part of the book or listening to that part of the book, if I'm being honest, uh, but when I got to that part of the book, I, I'm always weird. It's like, uh oh, they always go back to that saying, never meet your heroes, because sometimes you may get disappointed. But you you didn't have that experience, you know, which was awesome. Kind of talk about your relationship with uh, Roz and the, the the early beginnings of Affectiva. Yeah. So um, first of all, yes, I am grateful to Ross Picard. So mm-hmm. in the uh, when I was graduating uh, computer science as an under, undergrad in Cairo, I right. stumbled upon this book called Affective Computing, right. which was published by an MIT professor called Rosalind Picard. Right. And I ordered it from Amazon. It, took about three months to ship to Cairo. (laughs) And eventually I got my hands on it and was just fascinated by her theory. She was making the the argument or making the case for emotional intelligence for computers. So just got so interested and I pivoted my entire research career to pursue this. And then fast forward five years, I was at Cambridge University and I got an email essentially saying that, you know, MIT professor Rosalind Picard is visiting Cambridge to give a talk and she wants to meet with some students. So that was my opportunity to meet with her after having followed her for years. Right. And I remember that day I was like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to make an impression. Right. So what do I wear? Like orange, orange is a memorable color. Right. (laughs) Right. And I kind of planned my presentation and rehearsed it over and over and, you know, ended up meeting her and it's, you know, it was a blast. Like we totally clicked and we shared a lot of goals and core values. And she ended up on the spot, basically recruiting me to join her group at MIT, uh, which was a dream come true. And she's been my role model and mentor and friend. And it's, it's so wonderful when you have somebody who you can look up to who's also an advocate for you and can support you throughout your career i think it's really it's can be transformative absolutely absolutely you know one of the things we always talk about here on the startup life the, the importance of mentorship yeah uh, and and seeking out those mentors but also being a mentor as well and as you know as people mm-hmm. like to say sending that elevator uh back down for sure thank you for sharing all of that yeah, and this is something I, I if, if you don't mind, no, something I feel very, I, I talk about that in the book, but paying it forward is Absolutely. so important. Yes. And, you know, we have an internship program for young people, including high school kids. And, oh, my goodness, like just seeing 
what these kids can do with a little bit of support and right and nudging you know it just um it really makes a lot of this worthwhile so i you know i'm grateful to my mentees um they're superstars and they're doing amazing stuff and i i just feel very fortunate to play a small part of their journey so yeah i encourage everybody who has the opportunity to paid for it to do so for sure for sure thank you for sharing that now i know you know you you, you went to uh cambridge where you uh got your doctorate uh in uh, i believe computer science if i'm not mistaken uh yep. and, and, and so when you were uh going to school there that you were uh you had your your oldest daughter your oldest uh, kid uh jana is jana jana yep. Jana, yeah, yeah, with you yeah. and stuff like that. Kind of talk about that experience because I always tell people that you know, even though uh, situations can be a bit challenging while you was going to school and caring for uh, your daughter, I believe all of us have that entrepreneurial mindset. And it seemed like even before you had the company, uh, you had that entrepreneurial mindset, figuring out how to get back and forth with school and your daughter and stuff like that. Kind of share with me that experience a little bit, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, as I said, I, you know, I grew up in the Middle East and then had this opportunity to do, go do my research in computer vision and machine learning at Cambridge University. And so I ended up there and I was a, you know, new bride. My husband at the time had to stay in Cairo because he ran a company there. Absolutely. And, um, you know, within the first year of my PhD, I had Jana, my daughter, who's now 16, almost 17. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it just, it's just, um, I don't know the way I, I, like, I look back on these days and I became very hyper-focused on, I was very clear on my goals, right? Like I became super hyper-focused on my research because I was very passionate. I still am very passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, of course, as a new mom and, 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 you know, I want to make sure I'm taking care and connect and making time for Jenna. Of course. Um, so I just became super organized in my time and, um, and I think that's that's true for founders too, right? Mm-hmm. Like because it can become all consuming. Yeah. Gotcha. So to so be thoughtful about how you kind of organize your time is really important. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And that's something that as entrepreneurs and startup founders were always uh, you know, have that challenge as far as like organizing our time, finding that work life balance and things of that nature. So I definitely uh, understand all of that uh, for sure. So I want to ask you this because, you know, uh, right before you became CEO of Affectiva, you were having all these, you know, these major milestones, research scientists, uh, you know, speaking engagements and stuff like that. But even uh, right before you became CEO, you had these thoughts in your head, like maybe I'm not ready for that role yet. Kind of talk about that mindset switching from I'm not ready for that role yet to I am definitely ready for that role. <laughs> uh, yes, um, that's a big theme in the book, like this this idea of inner doubt and how do right. you negotiate with that inner voice of doubt and, and overcome it. So when we started the company in 2009, Roz Picard and myself, you know, we went on a lot of investor pitches and we kind of decided early on to hire a a CEO uh, who had business experience because we both kind of, this was our first company and we had spun out of academia. Um, So we hired, um, we hired our first CEO. He was there for four years and then he decided to um, transition out. So the question became, okay, who's going to be the next CEO? And the obvious option was me because I was the chief technology officer. I knew the technology. It was my baby. You know, 
Um, but I felt like I just had this inner voice in my head that was like, you've never done this before. You've never been a CEO before. Like you're going to fail miserably. Like this company's going to go down, you know, down right. it. <laughs> now at the same time, our head of, so I didn't raise my hand, right? Gotcha. At the same time, our head of sales, who had also never been a CEO before, he was like, sure, I'll do it. Gotcha. So he stepped in and was CEO for a couple of years. And um, I, you know, it took me a couple of years to basically realize I was already doing the job. I was raising money for the company. I was the face of the company. I knew the technology, et cetera, et cetera. So I mustered all of the courage I had and basically made the case to step into the CEO role. And it's uh, it's been almost four years um, coming up to the four, fourth year anniversary. And my, my, my biggest key, key takeaway was like, I was my own biggest obstacle. I was right. my biggest Debbie Downer, right? And you don't want to do that. <laughs> right, right. If I could ask a follow-up, if I may, Rana, because the thing is, yeah. is like, you know, we, we hear, you know, stories about this, you know, with men and women, actually, about yeah. that self-doubt and stuff like that. What I want to ask this. Was it frustrating when that, you know, the head of sales became CEO, when he was just like, sure, I'll do it. Was it frustrating for him to just like, you know, even though it seemed like maybe – he wasn't ready for that role or whatever the case may be. Was it frustrating to see him say and have that confidence? Like, yeah, I'll do it. No problem. While you were kind of doing all of that stuff and all of those uh, hats and uh, was already ready for that role. It was definitely frustrating. I journal a lot mm -hmm. as, as you may know from the book. Um, right. And I wrote in my journal that day we voted him in as CEO. I was in tears mm. and I, I, you know, I basically wrote, that my gut says this is the wrong move for the company, right? Not even for me, like for the company and that I will regret not having had enough courage to, you know, to, to take action. Right. Um, so yeah, it was frustrating, but I, I just didn't feel I could do anything about it. So now I try to, when, when I, when I get into that state where I am, doubting myself or really kind of this voice is loud and, and telling me I can't do something or I shouldn't do something. I try to take a step back and just kind of have a conversation with that voice. <laughs> you know, uh, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for that transparency, because with everything that you've done, you've had this magnificent career. And, and you're saying, you know, even now that, you know, sometimes that self-doubt just kind of creeps in, you kind of have to battle that demon from time to time. And I think that's important, Startup Nation, that like, look, you know, uh, when, even when you have a whole bunch of success, you know, in your business, in your company or whatever the case may be, sometimes that self-doubt still just finds and weeds itself on in there. And you kind of have to battle that demon inside your head. So I appreciate that transparency, Ronna. Thank you. I, I, I feel like we need more of that kind of openness. I think often with startups or successful entrepreneurs, you see the glory, right? You see right. like, oh, so-and-so raised, you know, X million dollars of funding, but you don't see the behind the scenes challenges and, and doubts. And I think it's important to have an honest dialogue around that and not over glamorize it. Right. Um, Absolutely. That's super important. All right, Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson and you're listening to The Startup Life.
startup life is powered by Ladder. Startup Nation, as an entrepreneur, you are the engine that powers your business. We have had many entrepreneurs on the show, from those that played Division II basketball, quite a few Ironman participants, and even an NFL quarterback. And the one thing they all have in common is that they know getting early morning workout wins leads to business success for the day. However, it's super important what fuel you use for your workout to get that early morning success. And that's where Ladder comes in. Ladder is a sports nutrition company founded by LeBron James and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Unlike other supplements, every batch is tested by a third party that is trusted by all major professional sports organizations, including the NBA, NFL, MLB, and more to verify the highest standards for quality, but more importantly, safety. Ladder's goal is to help you unlock your best in any situation. Right now, that means access to special offers and expert advice from their community. Personally, I like superfood greens. Not only does it include the most essential nutrients that are hard to get in your diet, like magnesium, zinc, B vitamins, and vitamin D, they also included the Rodelio root, which helps keep you healthier when stress is high, but also it helps support immunity according to many studies. Use code BETTEREVERYDAY for 30% off everything site-wide at ladder.sport. That's BETTEREVERYDAY for 30% off at ladder.sport. So maybe you're not trying to be a four-time league MVP or a seven-time Mr. Olympia, but you still need the tools to elevate your health that elevates your business. So go with Ladder and prepare to get better every day. This episode of The Startup Life is powered by Colony Spark. Startup Nation, with our economy in flux, there is a lot of mixed messaging out there. If there was ever a time to take control of the narrative and let your customers know that you're here to serve them, it's now. And that's why you have a friend in Colony Spark. Colony Spark is an omni-channel marketing agency that believes in the power of community to ignite your business. They have helped companies across many industries with lead generation, revenue growth, and more to put them on the path to success. My guy Bill Murphy and his team are very good at what they do. How do I know this? Because not many SEO companies have the stamp of approval of being partnered with Google. Yes, that Google. So I want you to go to www.colonyspark.com forward slash startup to schedule a meeting today. In that meeting, you will review your current marketing activity, receive actionable advice on how to pivot and grow, and ask any marketing questions you may have on navigating over the next few months. Look, Startup Nation, I know things may seem uncertain right now, but if you are looking for a business partner that can help light the way, go with Colony Spark, where they firmly believe in business helping business. Startup Nation, we tell you all the time that no one does anything great on their own. That includes starting a business or a nonprofit or even becoming a thought leader or an influencer. My point is that you need a team to do it successfully and responsibly. And that is why you should contact DR and Associates. Danielle and her team provide branding solutions along with digital and social media marketing that provide tangible results you are looking for. No matter if you are a Fortune 500 company or an author looking to make an impact, DR and Associates needs to be part of your team. They are one of the few firms whose leadership has been recognized by Google, which is proof of concept that they are very good at what they do. Contact DR and Associates today to grow your online presence. The number is 615-933-3681, or you can visit their website at drandassociates.com. Also, make sure you follow their Facebook page as well. DR and Associates, providing real clients with real results. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. So let's let's talk AI. You know, that's your bread and butter. That's your baby. You know, uh, talk about, you know, 
uh, your fascination with, you know, emotional AI or emotion AI, as you call it, and why it's super important to engage in this work that you do, especially given our, our, you know, our current pandemic, uh, the days and times of the future of tech. Just kind of share with us your commentary on that, if you would, Rana. So emotion AI is all about building emotional intelligence into our technology, which basically the premise of it is a lot of our communication, you know, only 10% of our communication is, is based on the actual uh, choice of the words we use. Um, the majority of it is nonverbal, split right, between right. your expressions, facial expressions and gestures and vocal intonation. So we use deep learning and machine learning to quantify these expressions. And there's a lot of applications for it. My favorite given the times we're in is virtual events. I've been giving a lot of webinars and, you know, you know, we've all been on zoom calls where you can't really see everybody in the audience. And it's hard to really get a sense of the energy of, of the audience. Like it's hard to tell, are they engaged? Are they bored to death? (laughs) So I wish there was a way to capture all of these nonverbal cues and kind of see a real time laughter track or a real time engagement track, which I also think has a lot of applicability in online learning as well, uh, where a teacher can get a sense of the level of engagement of the students. Uh, That's another kind of key use case. For sure. For sure. Let let me ask you this, you know, how, you know, because we always talk about technology and education, where do you see all of that going as far as, you know, as we move forward uh, and move in education forward, where do you see AI playing a role in education in the years to come? I mean, I think what's really exciting about the potential AI can have is is that A can or technology in general, it can right. democratize right. access to things like education and healthcare. Gotcha. Um, you know, I grew up in 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 Egypt where, you know, I've been lucky to have awesome education, but not everybody does. And I've been lucky that we have had access to amazing healthcare, but again, not everybody does. And technology can be part of the solution. It can give people access. So, um, yeah, I I think there's a real opportunity to create personalized learning and health, you know, telehealth experiences using this technology. For sure. For sure. That telehealth part is always fascinating uh, to me for sure. So I want to ask you this because as a creator of, of, of tech and, and, and certain type of products, uh, in the tech space and AI and stuff like that, kind of talk about, the importance of who you allow to use that tech for their businesses and stuff like that. Because there was a part in the book where you talk about two different organizations. One was, I believe the federal government, the other was like another organization to where the uh, one, uh, one, I think the federal government wanted to use it for like maybe spy technology or something like that. Uh, But kind of talk about, you know, and they were going to offer a pretty penny more than the mm-hmm. other organization you actually went with, actually, uh, Startup Nation. But kind of talk about the importance of who uses the technology that you create, because I imagine when you create something that's powerful, there's a bit of a, I guess, kind of a God complex, if you will. And you want to make sure that it falls into the right hand. Totally. I mean, what is very exciting about this technology is that it has a ton of applications across many industries. Mm -hmm. When we first started the company, Roz and I, and the very first few employees, we sat around a table and we said, okay, there's so many applications. Where are we going to draw the line? And we kind of defined a set of core values that we would use to navigate this. And, and, and these core values include things like integrity, respect for private data privacy, right. consenting people, making sure that we never ever 
capture this data without people's opt-in and consent. So, you know, fast forward a few, so that was like when we started the company and then right. fast forward a few years, we were running out of money. Um, you know, we were in fundraising mode, but we were like two months away from running out of cash. So kind of desperate. <laughs> and then <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this agency, you know, basically said, you know, we will give you $40 million of funding on condition that you pivot to focusing on surveillance and, right. you know, lie detection and deception detection. Right. And it was a hard, well, initially it was a hard decision because it was an opportunity to extend the company's lifetime. Right. 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 And I, and I wasn't confident that we would be able to raise money otherwise, but then I thought about it and it just did not feel like it was at all in line with our um, core values. So we turned the money away and we raised, as you said, a smaller round right. but from investors that shared our vision and our core values. Right. And, and, and the reason I wanted to ask that, because that could not have been easy because, you know, not only are you know, you're trying to start this company, but you have you know a few employees and stuff like that. You have mm -hmm. to, you're making this decision on their behalf because if you, you know if not making the wrong one could be dire for their earning potential and stuff like that. So kind of walk me through the emotion of that that decision, because that could, like I said, that couldn't have been the easy one. Like, what was those conversations with you know Roz like? What was those those thoughts in your head as far as like? man, maybe I should just really take that money because as startup founders, we see the dollar signs like, man, I'm taking that money all day. But, you, but you know, once again, you say like, no, there's something bigger here and I don't want it to be used for that. Kind of talk, walk me through that emotion, if you would, Rana. Yeah. Well, the, the very first application we explored for this technology was autism, actually. Right, so right. that's what brought me over to the United States. It was a project to partner with a school for autistic kids. So from the get go, Roz and I were very focused on the social good applicant. In fact, we had we had debated whether we should just start a nonprofit or a for-profit com company, and we right. decided to go for-profit because we felt it would be more sustainable and we would be able to attract, you know, top tier, especially kind of you know machine learning talent if we were for-profit. Now, but but from the get-go, we were very we kind of called it a, a, a double bottom line, like we wanted. To of course be sustainable and make money, but we were very adamant that we do good. Um, and so, as we were kind of considering taking that money, it it just did not at all match why we started. The, and so I remember clearly there was one night I went back home and I said, "Okay, picture right. taking the money," right. and and I just started to kind of play it out, right? Like so, I wake up in the morning and I go to work and I'm working about you know working on surveillance. And I just could not imagine myself getting excited or motivated mm. by that. Um, I also always felt that part of our brand is it, it, people had to trust us with this data. And I felt like going into that space would break the trust we had with consumers. Um, it just wasn't who we are. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Th thank you for so much for sharing that. And that's what I wanted to kind of see, you know, what that looked like, because, you know, Startup Nation, there are many times where, I mean, cliche, it's cliche, but cliche mm -hmm. is a cliche because they're true. Not all money is good money. And so uh, it, it's super important, you know, when we hear around a story about that, that she was thinking long term. She wasn't thinking right now. She was thinking long term. Yes, the $40 million would have helped tremendously. But mm -hmm. it was super important to think long term. Like, that's not who we are. That's not why we started this. And I, I'm so uh, grateful for that transparency and sharing with uh, Startup Nation how you stuck to your guns on that one. It's pretty gutsy. 
I, I also think, um, of course, you know, all money's well, I, I don't know if I agree with all money is good. Money. I mean, money is great, of course, oh, but of course. I really think aligning with your investors and partners on a shared vision and shared core values is important because there will be tough times right, and right. your values will be put to test. And that's where they come in. Right. It's right. not just marketing fluff on a website where you say, yeah, we're clear about privacy. Like you will get tested on these core. It's almost like these values are our North star and they right. guide our decisions. Right. Um, when the going gets tough and I, 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 I've learned over, you know, the last, you know, number of years with Affectiva that your investors really matter and it's not just their money. It's what they stand for. Understood. Understood. Thank you for sharing all of that for sure. And and speaking of Affectiva, I'm on your website, uh, goaffectiva.com. The link is in the show notes for easy access startup nation. If you want to check it out, uh, and you're listening to the replay on the podcast and I see that, you know, scheduled as of right now, October 14th, you have your emotion AI summit, uh, 2020. Uh, and I know given everything that's going on, uh, you know, obviously, you know, there may have to be a pivot involved and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's kind of a two part question. First, you know, what's the goal of the Emotion AI Summit? You know, you know, what are you hoping to gather? What are you hoping to kind of get over to the participants? But also, I want to know about the the discussions that are taking place as far as like, do we postpone it? Do we cancel it? Do we make it uh, virtual? Kind of yeah. walk me through all of that. So it's a two part question, if you don't mind me asking. Yeah, so I'll start with the first. Why okay. are we even doing a summit, right? right. So the right. Motion AI Summit is basically, this is going to be, um, uh, we've done three years of it. Um, and it started with this premise that I just don't think, we pioneered Emotion AI. So we created the category, we're considered the leaders. And to me, it's almost like we have painted a vision of what this world of Emotion AI looks like. What are the applications? What are the considerations? What are the ethical implications and moral things we have to think about. So um, we created the summit as a way to bring together AI thought leaders and business practitioners and ethicists and, you you know, stakeholders um, to come together and really map out the future of AI and specifically emotion AI. And it was super successful the first you know, year we did it. And so it's become a tradition. Right. Um, and what people value the most about it, it's pretty intimate. It's about, about maybe like 300 people or so attend. We try to make it very hands-on. So there's always demos where you can see Emotion AI brought to life. Uh, last year, we had our pink mobile car where you could, you know, drive around <laughs> and, and get to experience AI, Emotion AI in your car. So right. that was pretty fun we had social robots we had a we had a robot petting zoo one year where it was like a whole zoo of these social robots and you could interact with them oh wow (laughs) um so we try to make it engaging and fun and bring the ideas to life but also it's so diverse across you know last year i hosted it was my favorite i hosted a panel with an 11 year old eight year old and a 16 year old and i they were so articulate about their views on technology and and privacy and all of that so that was you know we try to bring we try to give people a voice uh um at the table which is which i think is really important diversity is really important in, in, in um now whether you know what's going to happen in october honestly it's it's really tough i am as you can probably tell from my voice i love that we do the summit of course near and dear to my heart it's like my baby right um 
but I also think, you know, I don't know if people are in the right mindset for, I, I do a lot of speaking in general and a lot of my events have gotten canceled right. through the fall. Right. So, you know, we're in active conversations. Honestly, we've been doing a lot more of these virtual, uh, like every Wednesday at noon, uh, if your audience want to noon Eastern time, if your audience want to uh, tune in, Absolutely. I do a face, a Facebook live and a LinkedIn live. Uh, think sometimes my daughter who's 16 will just moderate the discussion. Sometimes I interview, like I interviewed Adam Shire, who's the co-founder of Siri the other day. Right. So, um, I think we're doing a lot more of these virtual, you know, connections with people. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see where we are by the summer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing all of that for sure. So I want to ask you this because most of my audience are small business owners and things of that nature. And, uh, you know, there may come a time where uh, AI may be beneficial to their business you know, or a, a bit part of their business model. And so I was reading a Forbes magazine article that titled Tips for Introducing Artificial Intelligence in Your Business. And there's a part in there that talks about uh, what that looks like as far as your team members. It says, quote, for example, there are two sides to managing AI expectations. Some people on your team might think it's awesome and will solve a lot of problems. Others might get scared thinking it's going to replace their jobs and end quote. And so obviously th that that's kind of one of the biggest things when we hear about AI a lot, you know, people, you know, it replacing people's jobs and things of that nature. What advice would you give to a small business if they're decided to introduce AI into their company? What should those conversations sound like? I think with, with this whole AI revolution, if you like, sure. they're, they're there's low hanging opportunities and then there's like more kind of long term abstract potentials. And so I always and often advise, whether it's a startup or a large organization, I think one should start with the low hanging opportunities. So one way to, to do this is to find a place where AI can improve your business right away and start with a very simple a minimum viable product or kind of minimum viable proof of concept um, to test the technology and just, you know, ensure that, um, you, you know, that you're, you're going to get some value as opposed to take on like this big esoteric, complicated AI undertaking Understood. that's going to take years to implement. Um, I, I'm not a huge, ad I'm, I'm, I'm more of an advocate of like iterative, you know, uh, piloting and, and, Understood. and, and building yeah yeah kind of a slow slowly integrating type of process yeah, yeah. totally understand yep. that i want to ask you this i want to actually ask you uh about your mom you and your daughter actually because in the book you talk about uh the story uh you know uh in your time in kuwait and operation desert storm and how it kind of uprooted mm -hmm. a lot of things and stuff like that and you talk about the strength of your mom and the things that you learned from her and then clearly you've had that strength and you know, move, you know, going back and forth, building this company and becoming a CEO and becoming very recognized and well regarded in your industry and that. So with all that being said, where does that strength come from in your mind? You know, whether it be your mom, you, and also how, you know, what are some of those lessons you teach your daughter when it comes to that? Yeah, it's, it's kind of, in, so the book is dedicated to my mom, by the way, I, right. I feel like she's been such a, uh, force of power and inspiration in, in, in my life. And she is just the best mom and, and grandma. Uh, she's, you know, she just loves unconditionally. Mm -hmm. And the thing, you know, that, that resonates the most with me is that my mom always challenged me to take on more and kind of 
be the best person I can be. Gotcha. But she always kind of made it clear that it's okay. Like, you know, if it doesn't work out, we love you just the same. Right. And that message I think is really important. I recently heard Ariana Huffington uh, say on a podcast, embark on a, and this was actually inspired by her mom as well, like embark on a journey without attaching to outcomes. And that's the message I give my daughter. Like I want her to be ambitious and driven and think big and, and take on these risks and, you know, embark on this adventure wherever it is, but also know that you know, not to attach to an outcome. So she's a junior. My daughter's a junior. She's applying to college next year. And it's a challenging process and very kind of stressful. So I want her to be ambitious, but I also want her to know it's going to be just fine if it doesn't exactly go her way. Right. Right. And I think that's, that's important for founders too, because you embark on this journey and you really don't know where it's going to take you and and i and i guess you just have to be open-minded on on where where it will go thank you for sharing that so i i you know i saw in the book as well that you and your uh sisters when you were younger played video games uh-huh. yeah, so <laughs> what was what's your uh what was your video game of choice back then and are do you still play now um so my dad as as i said he was a very kind of he's a technologist so he would always bring these new technologies and devices to our home Mm -hmm. and early on he brought this uh, atari console and we would play together as a family my favorite game was space invaders okay okay (laughs) um um now, interestingly, I don't play games, video games as an adult. My son, who's 11, is an avid video gamer. Oh, my goodness. He's been playing so much. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he'll usually finish his schoolwork by like 10 in the morning, and then he's just playing video games the whole the rest of the day. It's so yeah, sad. That's a sweet life. That's a sweet life. Or an 11 year of course, for sure, right? <laughs> For sure. for sure. Thank you for sharing that. And so I, I know you have some guests, you know, given, you know, uh, our social distancing and stuff like that, some international students from your daughter's school and stuff like that. And you said that uh, you even talk about this in the book as well, that, you know, you're kind of uh, cr- creating some new dishes and working on some cooking and stuff like that. How's that going? <laughs> Yeah, so um, my kids go to a school which is half day students and half boarding. Gotcha. Uh, so a couple of the girls um, who are boarding could not fly back to their homes, right. which is China and Saudi Arabia. Gotcha. Um, so they've been living with us for the last month. Mm-hmm. I think we're on our fifth week together, and it's been so wonderful. A lot of people ask me, like, how did you? Dude, like, why did you do that? You're running a company full time. Right. You're launching a book. Right. So, um, but honestly, it's been so wonderful having them here. Um, you know, they've just brought a lot of joy. They cook together, which is the best thing about this. They they make all the most of the meals, which is fun. Gotcha. And it's just um, it's a reminder that this pandemic is so global. We're, but at the same time, it's so personal, right? It's it's kind of it's made the whole world so much more smaller like Absolutely. we have you know we've, we have this chi- french chinese saudi indonesian and we're american egyptians and we're right. all in the same place you know social that. distancing for sure. right for sure for sure and you know you, you often talk and you talked about it here with our conversation today that diversity uh is super important to you why, why is that important to you Arana? yes i think it is a diversity of thought so so Absolutely. gender diversity ethnic diversity, age diversity, but even diversity of backgrounds, whether mm. you grew up in a different environment or you studied some, you know, maybe you started studied music or art history. 
all of that is so important because at the end of the day, when we're designing a new technology, we design for what we know. And we have a lot of blind spots, each of us. So the more diverse brains you have around the table, the more creative the solution is going to be and the more we will ensure that this will work for the majority of us. If we design, you know, if we have if we design a car that will only work on people, you know, middle-aged white guys, it's not going to work on my face. Gotcha. It's not going to work with my data. And I think it's important that we, um, we acknowledge that. Understood. Understood. Thank you for sharing that. I want to know, Rana, you know, what's your entrepreneurial superpower and why? Ooh, <laughs> you know, I think, I often say my smile is my secret weapon. I hear that. Yeah, it's my way of of basically saying I come in peace, you people. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I I use it with investors. I I use it with you know our, my, my team. I use it with potential partners. I use it on on you know with dating. <laughs> gotcha. Um, I just think it's a powerful it's a powerful way to connect uh, with the world. Gotcha. Yeah. I, now I have to ask because you brought it up. How's the dating life going? <laughs> you brought it up now. You brought it up in the book. So I gotta ask. Yeah, it's 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 going well. Okay. I, um, yeah, I, I, I'm currently with somebody. Okay. Which okay. is which is you know interesting during COVID. Absolutely. I, I, oh, I yeah, often, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I often tell him if we survive COVID, we're all set for the rest of our life. Fair like, enough. <laughs> It's tough. I Fair gotta enough. tell you. Yeah. I, I imagine. I imagine so. Thank you for sharing all of that. And before I ask the last question, I just want to say thank you so much to Dr. Rana El Kayubi, uh, CEO of Effectiva. You gave amazing ta- value. So grateful for your time. And we really appreciate you coming on the show. But now I'm actually going to turn the microphone over to you because there's somebody in Startup Nation that's feeling a little stuck, feeling a little discouraged, especially with everything going on. Give us some words of encouragement to take us out for today. First of all, find gratitude. Um, you know, I, I, when I take a step back and think about it, I'm grateful for so many things. And first of all, like good health. Right. Um, so just be grateful for the smallest and the biggest of things. And then lead with empathy. Don't, you know, be kind. Like everybody's going through these challenging and trying times. And often when you approach it with a lot of compassion and empathy, you build deeper, authentic connections. So, um, yeah, empathy is, is the word of the day, in my opinion. All right. <laughs> empathy, Startup Nation, is the word of the day. Thank you so much. And that's going to wrap up this session of the Start of Life. We want to once again thank uh, Dr. Rana El Kayubi for coming on the show today. And as always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, be about that life, the Startup Life. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new startup blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, If you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.